Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus has something good for me today. He has something good for you. We welcome everybody watching us by live stream. want to encourage you to share the stream. We're taking a little ride through the book of Jonah. Jonah's an interesting story. Say it with me. I was not put here merely to live, work, and die. Hallelujah. That's good news right there. Right, we can go home with that. So you're created with a purpose. You're created with missions and mandates in life that you were designed to achieve. God has created you uniquely with a purpose. He has created you with a unique set of gifts and a unique set of skills. And he has missions for your life and he has mandates for your life. Jonah was given one of these missions, right? So the way God wires you, you're born and you have innate gifts within you. You have certain gifts, you have certain talents our responsibility is to develop our gifts and talents into strengths, but we're also responsible to, say it with me, discover, develop, and deploy our purpose and our mission. So this is what God expects from us. This is why we're made. We're made with a unique set of gifts and talents, strengths and weaknesses. We're supposed to develop those, and then we're also supposed to discover our direction and the direction for our life. Jonah was one of these guys, right? So Jonah was born a prophet. He was born in the house of a prophet. His father was a prophet. And God takes Jonah, who was born with a unique set of skills and a so unique Jonah set of abilities. Jonah was born a prophet. He was born in the house of a prophet. That's His right. Who is that guy? What's that? That's great. Who is? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is that? I, that, that? I don't know. I don't want to say anything. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to stay on the message. Stay on message. Stay on mission, Kevin. Right? And so Jonah was born in a house of a prophet, right? So he's born with skills. He's raised in a culture. He's raised in an atmosphere. And so God takes Jonah, who's born with this unique set of skills and is exposed to this unique environment, and he sends him on a mission that is contextually related to how he was made and how he was raised. So a lot of people think, well, if God's going to give me my life mission, then it's going to be something I don't want to do. No, it's going to be uniquely designed and uniquely fitted in a manner in which you are created. So if you're passionate, so there's going to be passion related to what you do. If you're creative, it's going to be something creative. If you're analytical, it's going to be something analytical. Just like Jonah, Jonah was raised in these environments. Jonah knew what he was doing. He knew that prophets not only spoke to the people, spoke to the nation, but spoke to the nations. And so the Lord was sending him in a manner that he would understand with a skill set that he had developed to go and Jonah just said, ah, nah, I don't want to go. So chapter one, Jonah is running. He's running from one of his missions and he's running from one of his mandates. Say it with me. Running from Jesus always causes problems. It's only a matter of time when the Lord calls you in a direction and you go, nah. And so the Lord wanted to send him in a direction and wanted to accomplish certain things in his life. Say it with me. The mission and the mandate is never about me. That's right, we'll come back to that. So the question that I wanna ask is why do we run? So when God tells us something or when God puts certain things on our heart or he leads us in these different directions, what often happens, what the majority of people run, so you know. So if you're running and you're running like Chicken Little, you're in good company because that's what most people do, they run. Because the vision and the calling is always bigger than you, right? It's always bigger than you. It, and so that's the first reason. So one of the reasons why we run is we run out of arrogance. In this case, Jonah, he just didn't want to. Yeah, 
Lord's like, I want you to go 500 miles to the, to the east, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to proclaim this message to them. And Jonah's like, nah, I hear Spain's nice this time of year. And so he was literally going to Spain 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. That's what he's doing. And, uh, the, and that caused a lot of problems. So we run out of arrogance. We just don't want to. And what people think, they think they got a better plan. See this all the time. They got a better plan. Jesus said, do this. You're like, nah, I don't know. I think I, got, I think I like it like this. And what people oftentimes, and a lot of times as you know, pastors, leaders, you get these questions, what's God's will for my life? Well, that's, that's a pretty open question. But a lot of times the question that I ask them in return, do you want to know God's will so that you can follow it? Or do you want to know God's will so that you can decide if you have a better idea? That's what most people want. They don't want God's will because this is what the Lord wants me to do, so I'm going to go, and this is what I'm going to do, or this is the direction. They want to go, okay, so let me take God's will and let me compare it to what I want to do. And that's what they do. And a lot of times if people feel that they have a better idea, they tend to go with their better idea. So a lot of times we run out of arrogance. What they don't really understand is that the Lord oftentimes gives us destiny in diminished form. Because we can, so if you cannot recognize value and worth when it's placed in front of you, nothing more will be given to you. Nothing more will be given to you. And a lot of times we can't, under, we can't, we can't recognize value and worth when it's placed in front of us. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not give pearls before swine. What is he saying there? You don't, give, don't present something of extravagance and something of meaning in front of people that cannot understand value and worth. If you cannot understand, and so a lot of times God presents us with opportunities. He presents us with direction. And what we don't do is we don't recognize the value and the worth of what he's actually doing. And God will give you something in a diminished form. He'll give you a direction that seems like a diminished form because he has something greater for you. What we often do is we look through the external, right? We're looking at all the things and making sure everything's right. And if it seems right to us externally, then we do it. But God doesn't work like that. What he wants you to do is follow the insignificant things that he tells you. And in, in doing so, you're demonstrating faith that he is good, faith that he's loved, and faith that you have value and worth. And so we react, say, oh, that's the best you can do, Lord. That's the best you can do. No, wait till you, it's, he gives it to you in seed form. He gives it to us in diminished form. And a lot of times we short track ourselves or we get arrogant about what God has given to us because we don't really understand what he's doing. We don't understand it. Or we compare our lives to the people that are around us. We're like, well, they got it in five years. Why do I got to wait 10? Because that's maybe because they're going to lose it in 10. And God wants to build it with you in 10 so that you have it for 30. Right? You know how many people that get stuff in the short and they lose it? They lose it? They're like shooting stars. They blaze and then they're gone. They blaze and then they're gone. Wouldn't you rather be like a sun that just burns and continually and provides light for seasons and generations rather than something that just blazes through the night and everybody goes, ooh, ah, wasn't that great? God builds with everlasting foundations. Jonah's running out of arrogance. He just didn't want to do it. I don't like Nineveh. I'm not going to talk to these people. I don't want to go there. Jonah, come from, he came from the prophetic caste. His father was a prophet, a hierarchical status within that culture. They were prophetic people, came with very respectful, very renowned. He came from that, and he looked down on these Ninevites, these godless, wicked Ninevites, and said, I'm not going to talk to them. No way. I'm not doing it. And so he ran out of arrogance. The other reason why we run is we run out of ignorance. We don't believe we have what it takes. And so people run out of ignorance. So let me just help you out. Say it with me. I don't have what it takes. But Jesus does. Happy day. His strength is perfected where? In your weakness. So when God tells you to do something, you don't have what it takes. 
So just get over yourself, get over the moment. It's not your gifts, talents, and abilities that draws the Lord to you. When he gives you a commission, a mandate, a mission, it's because he sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. He sees what is within you. He's not looking at gifts, talents, and abilities. Jesus isn't looking for the most qualified person in the room, right? And somebody says, thank you, Jesus, right? He's not looking for the smartest person in the room or the most qualified. What God is looking for, gifts and talents are not in short supply in the kingdom of God. He's got them in spades. He deals them like cards, right? You want a supernatural upgrade? Here you go. You want wisdom that you never had? He deals them like cards. So wisdom and upgrades and supernatural gifts, talents, and abilities, he can give it to you. Even if you have nothing, he'll give it to you, and he'll equip you, and he'll empower you, and he'll establish you. That's easy. What's in short supply in the kingdom is two things. Number one is courage. Wisdom's easy. Say it. Wisdom's easy. Courage is not. Courage isn't easy. Wisdom, Bible says he's pouring it out like water. Rivers and rivers of wisdom. You ask wisdom, he gives you wisdom. You ask direction, he gives you direction. The problem is, is we don't have the courage to embrace or take on the, the direction that he gives us. Wisdom's easy, courage isn't. It takes courage to manifest the kingdom. To get wisdom, that's easy. Look, like, I need wisdom. I'm like, you don't need wisdom, you need courage. I'm like, you want wisdom? Go get, the, go get the seven-year-olds out here. Give her a prophetic word, give her wisdom. What is God saying? Boom, boom, boom. We'll give you wisdom. You want wisdom? You got it. Wisdom's easy. Holy Spirit, what do I do? Boom, he'll tell you. But courage isn't. The second thing that's in short supply is hearts. Passionate, submitted hearts. Gifts, talents, abilities, whatever, influence, whatever it may be, those things God can give away very quickly. He's got resource upon resource. But passionate hearts, he has in few supply, short supply. That's the rarity. Those are the gems of the kingdom. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, doing what? Searching for those whose hearts are truly his that he might do what? Show himself strong. That I can put power on that life. I can put destiny on that life. Most of us in the way that we're trained and we're taught is we're trained and taught within our churches that Jesus is all about you. Jesus isn't all about you. He's not. It's all about him. Jesus isn't out to fulfill your dreams. He calls you on mission with himself. And in on, when you become into on mission with him, your life begins to align and then he becomes all about it. He's not about anything that's outside of him. The Bible doesn't say, seek first what is right to you. Seek first your dreams and visions, and God will make all of your dreams come true because this is just the wonderful potpourri, flower-waving, dress-wearing Jesus who wants to give this to you. It doesn't say that at all. It says, seek first the what? Huh? And his what? And then what? All things, right? We seek first what? The king's domain. We seek first the king's dominance. We first seek first the king's rule. And then we seek what is right to him, not what is right to us. His righteousness. Righteousness is what is right to him. So we're seeking where is we want the Lord's domain in this business. We want the Lord's domain in this marriage. We want the Lord's domain in this family, in this neighborhood, in my finances, in my future, in my faith. I want the Lord's domain. So you seek first the Lord's domain. You seek first the Lord's dominance into the spheres of your life. And you pursue what is right to him, not what is right to you. And then everything, the kingdom flows. All right? Now we can all get up here like Tony Robbins and God's going to make your dreams come true. But it's a lie. It doesn't happen. And it's a crapshoot, right? It's not even 10%. It's not even one out of 10. But do it the way he tells you. You know, I get people say that God's called me to be. I just had these three guys here from England and uh, having this crazy conversation with these guys. And they manufacture these things. They're on their way to a trade show. 
And they're just telling me all these different things. And they're saying, I said, well, what's your motivation? And they're telling me why they're doing the business. And I'm like, everything's like lining up. I'm like, wow, this is really good. They're like, we really want to see God's purposes done in our business. And they're explaining all of this stuff to me. And I said, so I said, just do it the right way. Do it the way God is, God is saying. And they're like, do you got a word for us? And so I'm giving these guys this word. And then all of a sudden I realized, I know somebody that's in your business that does what you do, that uses your product. And um, I don't know, I told them a bunch of stuff, but it was just really wild. And it was like, here these guys are, they're in town, they're coming and they're seeking what's right to God. Well, what's right to God? They're coming to church, right? They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. They're not like, hey, let's go to the beach and party before we go to the trade show. They come and they honor the Lord. And God's got not just a word for them, God has a direction for them and God has a connection for them, like in the room, right? Stuff starts being added to them. People say, they, you know, they, God's called me to do a business. I don't doubt that. God's called me to do this. I don't doubt that, but do it, ask him, involve him in it and let him do it. Put his domain in what you're doing. Don't put him over here on a shelf and use him when you need him. He's not just your first responder. I used to have a problem with that. I'm like, don't use Jesus as a first responder. The Lord goes, well, I, I kind of am a first responder, Kevin. I was like, really? He's like, I don't have a problem being people's first responders, but that's not the depth of the relationship I want. You know, Jesus doesn't always want to be coming and doing triage, you know, clear, let's get him back to life again, you know. He doesn't always want to be doing triage on you. He doesn't always want to be mending wounds. He'll mend your wounds. You cut yourself, you get mauled, whatever. He'll mend that wound, but he wants to move you out of triage, right? He doesn't always want to meet you in ICU, yeah? He wants to meet you and live in a lifestyle with you that causes flourishing and causes things to happen. That's what he wants. We run because we don't believe we have what it takes, that's a lie. First of all, you don't have what it takes, but you have Jesus, so you do have what it takes. God has sufficiency. He equips the called. We know that, that little saying. We feel that we're incompatible with what God has told us. We're not compatible with what God has told us, or we don't know who he is. We don't know who he is. When God gives you something, it's because he cares for you. When God gives you something, it's because there's a trust. Most of the time, God is establishing trust and faith in your life before he gives you this. Everybody wants the profound. We all want the profound, right? We want the big thing. But the big thing has found through small steps and smaller things. That's how it's found. And one of the things that God establishes in you is trust and faith along the way. Because you can't handle the big thing if you've not laid the foundation of trust and faith. If you don't have trust and faith, you will lose it when you get to that point. You won't be able to handle it because it's weight, this is one of my favorite teachings. It's the whole world glory. You know, to whom the Lord justified, he glorified. His intent in your life is to put weight. That's what the word glory means. It's a Hebrew word, kavod, and it means substance. God wants the world to feel the substance of who he is through you. God wants the world, the world to feel the substance of who you are from him. He wants the world to feel the weight of what you are. He glories in that. He gets crazy when that happens. He's like, that's my girl, that's my guy, that's my son, that's my daughter. He loves it. But the problem is, is that the weight and the substance of your life is too heavy for you to carry. We short track it, we go off, we do it all the way we want, we do all that stuff and we see it collapse. You know, my wife and I were just talking this morning about how many pastors over the year have just collapsed, you know, just collapsed. They can't handle the weight over the long term. They can't handle the substance. That's why God builds character. Character, faith, trust, all these different things are the pillars that supports the weight. But that's the long game, Christian. That's what takes all the time. And we don't want it. We just want, give me the glory, right? 
Give me 600 pounds on the bench press. You can't hold 600 pounds on the bench press, right? Let's start with some 25s, right? Let's start with the bar, right? I don't want the bar, you know? <laughs> let's better yet, let's start on the machine. I don't want the machine. What am I, a wimp? Yes, you are a wimp, and we need to get you in shape. That's the way it's working, right? So like God will do the busy, just have, hear what he's saying. Do the things that he's sitting in front of you. His intention is yes. If the Lord says yes, his intention is giving you that. But it's not a direct path. We think it's a clear run. We think it's like the Star Trek Enterprise. You know, we just beam up and there we are. It doesn't work like that. It's a series of steps that gets you to where he has promised you he will take you. It's what he does. It's a process, right? He could have did one of the easiest ways. He could have did the earth in, in, in a day. He could have did the earth before he made time. He made time and then he made the earth. The evening and the morning is the first day. So before God even started creating, he made time. So he put everything in measured concepts of time. He didn't need time. He didn't even need eternity. He could have just did it. He didn't need anything. But he did it and he did it in six days to show us that what I build is a lasting work. That what I build, I build upon. Everything builds upon itself. Everything builds upon itself. And so what happens is we're Americans. We want it our way and we want it now, right? Instead of a, the American flag, it should be the Burger King flag because we want it our way and we want it now. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, right? That's how we are. If you understand how God is working with you, he's working with you in these things. He's working with you in these things and he's trying to develop you. The Lord's answer is always yes and amen. If your heart is in harmony with what God told you, he's gonna take you there. The problem is, is where we short track it like Jonah. Jonah, Jonah circumvented the plan of God. He, did, he went around it. And what it ended up costing him, it cost him time, and it cost him a diminished word. The second word he got was diminished because he didn't listen to the first one. Yeah, you'll see it. Same thing with, with Moses. When Moses got the Ten Commandments. The Bible says this. This is a cool story. I love this story. The Lord cut the tablets. So Jesus, with his laser finger, cuts the tablets of stone, gives them to Moses. Moses goes down, smashes them. You freaking people, you know, gets frustrated, angry, blows up, loses his cool, demonstrates God as an angry God. And the Lord goes, that was a really poor representation of me, Noah, or Moses. And so when Moses goes back up the mountain, anybody know the story? It's very subtle. The Lord told Moses to cut the tablets. So the first time, Jesus cut them for him. The next time, the Lord's like, your turn, Noah. Or Moses, excuse me, Moses, Noah, Noah, Moses. I'm in Genesis, at least I'm good, right? I'm in there, I'm in the game. He tells Moses to cut him, so Moses had to cut him, right? So it cost him, because he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen, and it cost him, right? A lot of times when we don't listen, it's one of the things, I'll, I'll share it, I'll jump ahead. So like when Jonah goes to Nineveh, the first time that God tells him, the language is, go to Nineveh, and his word to, no, to, to, to uh, Jonah, was I want you to speak over the city, right? And, I want, and it also, the Hebrew word also means engage. So God tells Jonah, I want you to go to these people, I want you to speak over them, and I want you to engage them. I want you to speak over their evil, I want you to call them from something that is not this, I want you to call them out of darkness, call them unto light, and speak over them. And I want you to engage them. 
I want you to get up close and personal. I want you to be involved in what's going on here. And I want you to bring this message over their lives. And I want you to bring this message from a place of engagement. Jonah's like, no way. Mm-mm, not doing it. And he took off. And so the second time that Jonah gets the message, which you'll see it, Jonah 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. When God gave the message the second time, he told Jonah, just show up and open your mouth. Just show up and open your mouth. The word was diminished. The word to Jonah was diminished because he wouldn't value the first one. He didn't value the first one. And it's a learning process. Speaking from experience, I have diminished many words in my life. (laughs) And I have learned that I don't like the diminished word as much as I like the, the original word. And so I do my best to take God at his original word because I know if I don't listen to him, Eventually, I will listen to him because he's going to bring me back around. Jesus is the master of makeup tests, in case you didn't know that. You fail the test, don't worry about it. There's a makeup test on the way. He's got another one. You're not moving forward until you pass that test, right? You can't call in sick, can't tell him your dog ate it. He's going to make you pass that test, right? And so, like, I've had things in my life where God has told me I didn't do it. I thought I had a better way for whatever reasons, arrogance, ignorance, whatever it was that my perspective was, and I didn't do it. And I felt that the Lord would give it back to me, but he gave it back to me in a diminished form. It was less than what it was originally. Now, does that pertain to every area of my life? No, but it says, Kevin, learn the lesson. When I say it the first time, honor what I say. When I say it the first time, do what I say. Don't diminish it. Don't run off your way. Don't do it the way you think, right? Do it the way I do. But Lord, you'll give it back to me. And Christians have this perspective. And you know what I tell them? I'm like, absolutely, he'll give it back to you. But that is going to be diminished. It will not be the same as what he told you. It will be in the same vein, but it won't be at the same height or stature. Right? What story could have been told if Jonah would have went and spoke over these people? What story could have been told if Jonah not only would have spoke over their lives, but we have the story of Noah engaging the Ninevites. We don't have that story. We just have Jonah showing up and opening up his mouth. You know, so learn to listen. That's, I guess, the moral of the story. So Jonah's running. He's running out of arrogance, personally. He says, the one who calls you is faithful. You don't have what it takes, but the one who's called you is faithful. You are faithless. He is faithful. He's not doing it, away. He's not doing it without you. He's going to do it with you, right? You can't do it without him, and he's not doing it without you. Jesus is going to do it. Wrong answer. He will not do it without you. You are part of this process. You are part of this equation. Jonah had a better idea. The mission and the mandate was not about Jonah. It was about these people. This Ninevite system, they were Phoenicians and they were Assyrians. They were two of the worst cultures ever known in the, East, in the ancient world. These were horrific people. They sacrificed their children. Other nations learned their evil from these people, right? So all the evil that started happening around, this, particularly that region, came from the Ninevites, came from the Assyrians, and came from the Phoenicians, which these people were. They would burn their children in fire, openly, babies. They would do soothsaying, and they would torch the kid in the flame. The priest would be taking notes on how the baby died. They had music playing while they burned the child in the fire, right? Then they would take the child's bones, put them in a jar, hand them to the parents. The parents would go home and shove them in, their, in the wall of their house. They had proliferated this. This is who these people are. They had proliferated this. It became very common in Israel, and all of the surrounding nations began to practice these rites. And in Israel, they found Jewish homes with the same baby jars buried in them, which means that the Jews were worshiping the pagan gods of Asherah, Molech, the, the, the Phoenician gods, and they, were bur- they too were burning their children. Read it. God says, you shall not pass your children through the fire. 
What's it talking about? Like waving them over a barbecue? No, they would put their kids in the fire and they would burn because that was how they got a prophetic word. Give me a prophetic word. Give me your child. Right? It's a lot of depth to that, but I'm not going to touch it. There's more to it. But the mission and the mandate is never about you. God wanted to go and reach these people. He wanted to call them to something higher because these people not only were, they, their government was afflicting people within the society, but their government was afflicting people outside of the society. These people were raiding and pillaging. They were causing a lot of harm everywhere they went, right? And Jesus is like, I want you to go and tell them. I want you to call them to something higher, and I want you to engage them, right? Jonah's like, no way. I don't like them. They don't like me. What? Not going to happen. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. And so what happens is, is he goes off on a sailing ship. He's going to Spain. The ship gets into crazy trouble. They throw Jonah in the water. A fish comes and picks him up, and Jonah repents. Jonah hit the bottom. So what happens when you run from Jesus and you don't do it the way he asks you, it's only a matter of time. It might take a year. It might take six months. It might take six weeks, right? But the clock is running. When you run from the Lord, it ends up happening. And what do we run from the Lord? What we're running from is the relationship. What we're running from is the vulnerability. What we're running from, we're running from all of these things because it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. It's not about what you do, it's about who he is. And so when people run, they run from the relationship. They're running from the intimacy. We have churches in America that frame everything they do with religion. They're running from Jesus. There's no intimacy there. There's no congruency, there's no interconnection, there's no integration within the lives of the people. Everything's religiously structured, right? Everything's external. It looks good to us, we applaud it. We look at it, high and tight, suits, you know, whatever. <laughs> Outwardly, appearance, we do it all right, holiness. Wanna lecture all the other Christians? <laughs> they don't lecture me. Like, your church needs holiness. I'm like, what are you struggling with? You want to talk to me about holiness? First thing I'm going to ask you is, what are you struggling with? The only people who preach holiness are those who can't contain themselves. They want somebody to beat the living snot out of them because they feel like they need some punitive damage for their out-of-control life that they're living. There's no such thing as holiness without the Holy Spirit. So I got two words for you. Good luck. You cannot be holy without the Holy Spirit. No form of external righteousness can produce holiness. Holiness does not come from man. It doesn't come from us. When you have the Holy Spirit and you operate in the Holy Spirit, you're clean. Can I get a witness? You're operating, you're worshiping, you're full of the Spirit. Do you feel like you want to kill somebody? Not at all. You want to love everyone, right? You don't want to steal anything. You want to give it all away. When you're trying to produce holiness, you're religious and righteous, and you're forcing yourself into a box, and you become critical of everyone around you, right? <laughs> like in Germany, I always tell this story. We're in Germany. They drink beer after church. Well, I come from a church. I came from a background where you didn't drink at all. I don't have such perspectives anymore. Hallelujah. But anyway, they they, they would be. They'd go out and they'd be like, "Come on, Kevin." We're going to the beer garden. Ein Mas Bitter. They'd be drinking these big monster beers. They'd be like, are you serious? Like, I'm talking like a Moss. We're not talking like your 10-ounce Budweiser or something. We're talking like, like that. And they're all drinking them. I'm like looking at them. I'm like, are you serious? And they're drinking and they're laughing. Oh, isn't Jesus good? Hallelujah. <laughs> I'd go to breakfast with them. And I'd order three coffees. And they'd look at me like, 
this guy's got a problem. <laughs> That's how they viewed it. They thought caffeine was a drug. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're drinking like 40 ounces at the table, man. I'm like, what? Well, it's just like, you know, just different perspectives. But a lot of times when we're working off of holiness, we start judging everyone. And we're judging, we're judging each other off of externals. And that is not, it doesn't produce anything. It produces nothing. It looks good. It feels good. We feel holier than thou. We feel righteous, but it's the righteousness of men. It's not the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God has come through the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, centered in and with love. And there's holiness. You want holiness? Come, Lord Jesus. Let the anointing flow in your life. And holiness will be all around you. All around you. Right? You want to love your enemies? Come, Lord Jesus. You want to kill them, but then you get in the spirit and you go, I guess I could let that go. You know, it's not that big a deal, Lord. (laughs) And you wake up the next morning and you're like, I'm going to kill them. You know, anyway. So Jonah's returning. The mission and the mandate is never about you. It's about helping these people. God wants to do a work in the life of these people that will affect the region around him. But Jonah couldn't see it. He could only see himself in light of his own personal holiness. I the prophet of the most high God, dare I not step foot in Nineveh. (gasps) Right? Christians today, people, places, and things, we freak out about this stuff. God sends them to this place. We used to do an event, and if you're here and I offend you, well, my name is Pastor Kevin and I'm your friend. It is not my intention to offend you, merely to change the way that you think, to shift your paradigm. We used to do a thing here called Fall Thing, and we would do an event on Halloween across the street. And we'd have 12, 1,500 kids every single year, right? We couldn't translate that into anything because the area mainly spoke Spanish, so we could never really draw. They'd come up to me, and I'd be talking to them. We'd have the whole prophetic team out there. We would be engaging these people, and only their kids spoke English. So I was like, this probably isn't the best event for this area. We're probably going to do it again. We're going to take this property. We're going to get this preschool going. Yeah, we're going to do it again. We're going to do a preschool down south, and when we do it down south, we're probably going to do it again. Do you know how many times year after year I had to defend The church is celebrating Halloween. The church is celebrating Halloween. It's the devil's day. And I used to look at these well-meaning, well-intended Christians, and I would tell them, we're not celebrating Halloween. We are going into the darkness as light. I'm not dancing and throwing candy up in the air. You know what I'm saying? We're there to witness to people and engage them. And they would say, it's the devil's day. And you know, my answer to that would be, why do you give the devil a day? Why do you give him a minute? Why do you give him a second? It's the devil's day. Now people say, I don't leave my prayer closet, pastor, on Halloween. I spend 24 hours sequestered in my prayer closet. I'm like, wow. (laughs) Every year. Every year. I used to tell them, if you think we're celebrating Halloween, go have a donut. We're not celebrating Halloween. Where would Jesus go? He would go right into that. He took the the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, the gates of hell. Where did Jesus make the proclamation of the gates of hell? At the gates of hell. He took them to a city called Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi was the city of Caesar. It was in the northern part, up uh, near uh, the northern coast of Israel closer to uh, Lebanon, and, there was, and Jesus would take them there, and he'd say, and it, he took, there was a place there called the Pantheon. It was a grove, and it was filled with gods. The Romans had built the grove. Herod had built the city, and the Romans had created a grove for all of the gods of the nations were in this grove, right? 
And at the top was Caesar because he was the guyest of all. Jesus is standing there and he looks at his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? Some say the Christ, some say the, you know, the prophet, some say this. And he says, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what is Jesus asking? In the midst of all of this, who am I? In the midst of all the gods of the culture, in the midst of all of this, he took religiously righteous, clean, uh, holy Jewish boys and brought them to the pantheons of the worldly gods. Do you think they went home and told the rabbi, hey, I got, you know, look, I'm probably going to be ceremonially unclean for a few months because my rabbi, Jesus, took me. He took them to places that they would have never gone. And he didn't even blink. Jesus stands in the midst of them and says, you think this has any effect on me? You think this has any power over me, right? You know, and we act in these like self-righteous ways, in these arrogantly holy ways. And I'm not telling you to go stand in the pantheon of gods, but I certainly am not telling you to not be afraid to talk to people about Jesus or go to places or post an event for the sole purpose of engaging. That was the whole point was to engage the community. The whole point was to bring Christ into the face of the community on a day where you're not going to, I mean, how often do you get a, a, a family of four? They would come in droves. Long story, but yeah. So Jonah couldn't go because of his own righteousness. I'm not going to them. I'm not doing that. His perception of God was wrong. He was so, so trying to preserve his religious pretenses, right? He couldn't, oh, no, 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 no. I can't go to those people. I don't like them. I'm the holy of God. Well, the holy God is telling you to go. Well, it doesn't matter, you know. It's like, I got to keep up appearances, Jesus. You know, people might say stuff about me. He hit the bottom. The consequences of his choices were closing in on him. He had come to the end of himself. He calls on the Lord. So they throw him in the water. The fish comes and grabs him, right? He goes to the bottom of the sea. And as he's sinking into the bottom of the sea, he's sinking as a result of his choices. He thinks God's against him when actually God is bringing him down in order to bring him up. God is turning everything around. God is sending a supernatural turnaround. No, Jonah just couldn't see it. But in the bottom of the sea, he called on the Lord. That's always wise. Number two, he repented. That's even better. And number three, he, got, he received a supernatural turnaround. Right? Jonah, and then chapter three, so we have Jonah running. We have him repenting. And in Jonah three, we have him restarting. So the question is, is what do you do when you get a second chance? Isn't this the question? Say it with me. Jesus is the God of the second chance. He's the God of the 50th chance and the 100th chance. How many times must I forgive my neighbor? Peter said, three times. Jesus said, 70 times seven in one day. 490 times, that's a lot. You gotta be really screwing up to, to get 490 times. Lord, I know this is the 450th time, but could you forgive me? He'll give you another chance. He's always got chances. He's always got opportunities. God's got opportunities. Opportunities aren't in short supply. Faithfulness is. Power is not in short supply. Courage is. That's, those are different things. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Jonah's mistake did not disqualify him from the calling that God had on his life. He's the God of the second chance. Abraham was an idolater. Jacob was a deceiver. Rahab was a prostitute. Samson was a ladies' man. David and Paul were murderers. You thought you had problems, Right? The woman at the well was broken by her choices, and they all got second chances. They all got second opportunities. The woman at the well is one of the most powerful stories in all the Bible. I encourage you to read it. That is extremely powerful. 
Jesus sits at a well. The woman comes in the middle of the noon. She does, he's hiding from all the ladies because if she comes in the afternoon, all the ladies are going to be talking about her because she's had five husbands and the guy she's living with in a trailer down by the river is not her husband. And so now everybody's going to be talking about, oh, there she is. Oh, there she is. Oh, yeah. I hear she's with somebody new this year, you know. Yeah, I heard it. I hear she does babysitting, but I would never take my kids there. Oh, me neither. There she is. She didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear the gossip. She didn't want the disdain. So she goes in the middle of the day, but Jesus knew. says, nobody wants you. I want you. Nobody sees you. I see you. (laughs) Nobody can do anything with you. I'm in the restoration business, girl. I can do something with you. He's sitting at the well. The disciples who were sent on mission with him come back with happy meals. Hey, Jesus, we got lunch. Jesus said, I have food to eat of that you do not of. What I'm hungry for is what this woman is offering. What I'm hungry for is what she has given to me. She brought the whole city to Jesus. The crazy woman who had blown all of her chances, looking for love in the wrong places. She meets the right one. She goes into town and says, hey, y'all, I got something to tell you. And they're like, well, let's go see what she crazy woman has to say. And so all the city came out to meet Jesus. And Jesus, he met the whole city from that woman, right? Crazy woman, right? Shot out, broken. Nobody wanted, nobody seen. Lives in a life of shame, living a life of embarrassment. She was hungry for something. She couldn't find it. And Jesus said, I'm hungry for what you offer. You offer hunger to me, and I'm hungry for that. <laughs> you bring the city to me. It's like, I'm not, I don't want a Big Mac. Peter, you think I'm here for a Big Mac, man? You know, James is like, they got good barbecue here, Lord. I mean, I don't know. I found this shack down the street. The ribs are amazing. He's like, I don't want ribs. I'm hungry for this. People say, you don't know what I've done. I say, you don't know who he is. You don't know who he is. He's got another shot for you every single time. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. Learn. So he tells them to speak over the city and engage it. Second time, he says, just go and open your mouth, Jonah. Right? Bible says, but Bible will turn, the Bible says that God will turn it around. Proverbs 28 says, a man who, refu- who refuses to admit his mistakes will never succeed. But the one who confesses, acknowledge, and turns from them will always be given another chance. <laughs> How beautiful is that? The one who adm- says, okay, this is horrible. I screwed this up. I completely blew this up. And I think I need to learn how to do this differently. The Lord says, give him another chance. He not only will give you another chance. This is one of my favorite things I've learned about the Lord. He will re-resource you. Did you get that? He will re-resource you. He's given you resources. You've blown it. He's given you resources. You've made huge mistakes. He not only will give you opportunity, he will re-resource you. Yeah? He'll say, go again. Have we learned anything? Go again. Resources are not his problem. Faithfulness is. Resources are not his problem. Courage is. Resources are not the Lord's problem. You want to transist? Get out, of the, get out of the thinking and deficiency. The Lord is the God of efficiency. I tell this church all the time, you're standing on a wealth generator. This earth is generating wealth in a capacity far greater than Ford Motor Company. While you sit here, the earth is creating wealth. While you sit here, gold is being made. Diamonds are being made. There's no oil shortage. Who told you that? Men with limited thinking and understanding. This world is generating oil as we speak. Turquoise is being made as we speak. 
Copper is being made as we speak. Yeah. Limited thinking of men and the greed and the consumption of men that do not understand the generosity of a living God. And they hoard the resources for themselves and deny the access to things. There's no shortage. You know what the rarest stone in the world is? Opal. Everybody thinks diamonds are rare. Diamonds are not rare. They have to buy diamonds just to keep the value up. That's how many diamonds there are in the earth. They have diamonds in vaults, vaults and vaults of diamonds. Opals are far rarer than diamonds. Jasper, she talked about Jasper. Jasper comes from the depths of the sea. You have to go to the bottom of the ocean to get Jasper. It's made from the silt. You got to go deep. You want Jasper? The Lord's like, I'm Jasper. You want me? Go deep. Right. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends in his mercy that has kept us from complete destruction. I just got to say thank you, Jesus, right there. Let me just say that again. It is his mercy that has kept us from complete destruction. (laughs) Is there anybody here that's been delivered from complete destruction? I personally have, okay, in more ways than one. And I can tell you it is by the mercy of God. You're going to face circumstances where you're in the water and the torpedoes are coming at you. And there is nowhere for you to maneuver. And it looks like you're going down. But the Lord in his mercy will pick you up and move you out of the way. It's what he does. And you will suffer no harm. That's the inheritance of the believer. If you will believe and you will trust in the one who is your deliverer, if you will believe and trust in the one who has entrusted himself to you, he will deliver you. He will. He will deliver you. He will remove you from destruction and situations and consequences that will cost you everything. He will do it. I didn't say it was going to be easy, but he will do it. He's probably going to say, okay, Kevin, torpedoes are in the water. They're coming at you. So the first thing I need you to do is stop freaking out, okay? So he'll give you instruction. It's usually, usually like stop being afraid. Do not fear. That's his, almost always his first instruction, Right? Torpedoes are in the water. We're on deck going, we're going down. It's going to end. It's over. Jesus shows up and goes, stop freaking out, Kevin. Get back to your post. Remember who you are. Put your hands on the wheel and I'll do the rest. Get in a position of faith. Stop freaking out. Right? Stop making a spectacle of yourself in front of everyone. So Christians do. Oh, oh. Yeah, and we look at it and go, we should trust your God. Why? Right? You're worse than me, you know? It's like, give me a break. Every time he's told me, he's the first instruction to me is stop freaking out. Stop freaking out. Pull it together, Kevin. Grab yourself if you have to and pull it together. You will submit to the, you will not submit to these negative emotions. I will not submit to these negative emotions. I will yield. So the first thing God, before God gives you any other instruction, he's going to tell you to pull it together. He's going to tell you to stop being afraid. Yeah? And if you can't do that, then you get the faith of other people. But don't freak out on them. Okay? Pull it together, Christian. We're sons and daughters. We're heirs, right? We're born for the fight. We have fire in our veins, and we have a king's title upon our lives. We are princes and princesses. We're not cowards. Right? Draw from the strength that he has provided for you. He will give you strength. The unfailing of the Lord never ends in his mercy. 
<laughs> he has kept us from complete destruction. His faithfulness is great and his mercy is new every morning. You say, I screwed up last night. Good news. His mercy is good new today. You don't know what I did with last night? I'm like Lamentations 3.23. His mercy is brand new today, right? Hello. <laughs> we need it every day, don't we? Right? So what do you do when you, when you get that 50th chance? Number one, you be thankful. Jonah sang and made offerings of thanksgiving. He demonstrated his gratitude. We thank God for what he has done. We thank God for what he's doing. And we thank God by faith for what he's going to do. Thanking God for what he's done is easy. We have to thank him in the moment when it looks like it's going down. I thank you, Father, that there's five torpedoes coming at me. I thank you, Father, that there is nowhere to move. But what I thank you the most for is that I serve you, the impossible God, and you are the way maker. That's right. I thank you that everything around me looks like it's going to destroy me. But in all these things, I am more than a conqueror. In all these things, I will be victorious. You forever lead me in paths of victory for your namesake. Paths of righteousness, but paths of victory. He leads us in triumphal procession, Hebrew says. Jesus has a parade of victory, right? Whatever things that Jesus come on, we're going to do the victory parade, right? He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, your enemies are plotting against you. Jesus says, sit down and have something to eat. Just chill. Chill. Have some hummus. Right? It's good for you. Have a little pita. It's good for you. Because in about 20 minutes, I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. In about 20 minutes, I'm going to put your feet on their back. Right? In about 20 minutes, they're going to be your butler. The one that would dominate you, you will dominate. The one that would subject you will be subjected to you. Just watch. This is what he does. I will make your enemies your footstool. It's good to say thank you to the Lord and sing praises to him. Every morning, tell the Lord thank you for his kindness, Psalm 92. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you that you are kind to me. Thank you for who I am. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have in front of me. So be grateful. Second thing, don't waste it. The most valuable possession you have is time. It's the one thing that cannot be reproduced. Money can be regained, Christian. There's everything in life that can be regained except time. Time is a finite commodity. It is passing you by. And so when, jo when Jonah took this decision, it cost him time. It cost him time. His mission and his mandate now cost him time. So what do we do with time? We waste it, we spend it, or we steward it. You can waste time, do nothing. What you're doing right now, you're stewarding it. Stewardship is an investment for a return. You're investing this time before the presence of God, and guess what he's doing? He's giving you a return. You're going to walk out of here. You're going to get something out of this, right? I'm going to fire hose you until you do, right? <laughs> We're going to get one word of encouragement out of this, one way or another. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can steward it. Stewarding time is using your time for higher purposes, things that produce gain. So when you're before the Lord, you're not even spending time with the Lord. You're actually stewarding it because nobody does business with Jesus and breaks even. You ever worship the Lord and you just walk away and you're like, okay, right? You don't walk away empty. You certainly don't walk away the same. You never, you never give time to Jesus or spend time with him. It's actually a stewardship. There's a development. Spending time with your wife, ladies, you're going to like this. Stewarding time with your wife will always produce a gain. And all the women said, that's right. So the church bought us uh, for pastors. So thank you, all, any leaders here that did this for us. Bought us uh, uh, a couple of days in Saint, near St. Augustine. I don't even know. It was a while ago. And we kept moving the date, right? So we moved the date because we couldn't go. We moved the date, moved the date, 
move the date. And so finally the lady's like, look, if you, we can't move the date anymore. You know, you either take it or we're going to have to cancel it. So we went last weekend. We went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. We had a great time. But I'm driving around. It's all about Sherry. Sherry's weekend. Sherry's week, right? I'm driving around. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Yeah, whatever. She looks at me in a car and she says, you've been so nice to me. And she says, I would do anything for you right now. And I said, well, you're giving me a few ideas, but uh, you do anything? Really? How much time we got? Let's go. Women are amplifiers. What you give them, they amplify. You give them trouble, they amplify trouble. That is 100% true. You give them love, they amplify love. You give them kindness, they amplify kindness. You give them respect, they amplify respect. Women aren't really looking as much for respect as they are love. And love is kindness, you know, honor, you know, that kind of thing. Value, right? Come on, ladies. Value. You want to know that you're heard? Huh? Anybody here? Yeah, exactly. So that's never a waste of time, stewarding time with your wife. Developing yourself in and for your purpose, that's never a waste of time, ever. So there's the stewardship of time. We don't waste time. We don't even spend time. Spend time is, I choose to invest time because investing time produces something. I don't like wasting anything. And I certainly don't like emptiness. There's got to be a purpose and a value to what we're doing or I'm not doing it. This is me. So don't let the grace that you have received from God be for nothing. What God has given to us, we're not supposed to waste it. What God has given to us, the opportunities that he's provided for us, we're supposed to make the most of it. We're supposed to maximize it. We're supposed to throw it forward and go all in. Paul says in Acts 20, he says, I don't care about my life. The most important thing is that I complete the mission, the work that the Lord has given me, and to tell people about the grace of God. The third thing that you're supposed to do when God gives you another chance is do what Jesus told you, right? Do what he told you. So what happens is, is we blow it. This is an important thing to understand. We blow it. We didn't listen. Oh, man, I screwed that up. I didn't listen. The first thing you need to do is go back to the Lord and say, is that still in play? Is that something you still want me to do? That's a relevant question. I've met many Christians who God told them to do something 20 years ago. They didn't do it. Now, 20 years later, they're trying to recapture something he did told them 20 years ago. And I try to tell them that's no longer in play. It's not that God doesn't have an opportunity. It's just that that opportunity is no longer in play, right? And so what life is, is opening and closing doors of opportunity. That's what it is. We miss the opportunity. God's got another one for you. It may not be that exact one. In Jonah's case, that opportunity was still open, right? So the Lord sent him to, to there. But what you do is, so it says this, Jonah arose immediately and in obedience to the word of the Lord, <laughs> right? So then we, 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 want, we want to make sure that this is something that God still wants us to do. We have to be faithful. Sometimes, again, what I was telling you before is that we want the profound, but the profound is found in the little. He was faithful in much, and little will be faithful in much. But if you cannot be trusted with what is little, you cannot be trusted in what is much. We prove ourselves worthy of higher things by being honorable with the smaller things. God entrusts you with smaller things in order for you to prove greater things. His heart is problem, Christian, and you have to have this heart. His issue is never opposed to giving you the higher things. <laughs> he wants to give you the higher things. He, that's what he wants. He told David, I gave you everything, and if it wasn't enough, one of my favorite verses, I have a lot of favorite verses. This is one of my favorite. He said, David, if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. I gave you everything, and if it wasn't enough, I'll give you more. That's not enough for you, Lord, David? I'll give you more, right? 
It's in, it's in the story of David. Right? I have to give you the verse. I don't have it off my head. That one I don't have. I'll give it to you. Work with me, Lulu. Work with me. <laughs> David, when he, committed, when he committed sin against Bathsheba, and he said, Nathan the prophet came to him. And David was, he tells him the story. It was a man who had a lamb, and David goes off and says, that guy committed injustice. He needs to pay fourfold. David paid with four sons. Interesting. He judged himself out of his own mouth, right? And so Nathan said, said to him, the Lord gave you all of these things, David. He gave you a kingdom. He gave you a house. It's in Kings, or, Sa- or Samuel, 1 Samuel. He gave you all, or no, 2 Samuel. He gave you all these things. And he said, and the Lord says to you, if, if, this, if what he gave you, I took you from nothing, and I gave you this. And in taking you from nothing and giving you all this, if it wasn't enough for you, I'll give you more. I'll give you more. He's not opposed to giving you more. He's not opposed. He'll give you more, right? We're the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath. We're empirical, dynastic sons and daughters. The question isn't whether God will give it to us. The issue is, is will we rise to the level of prominence? This thing the earth cannot bear up under. The earth cannot produce when paupers become kings. Why? Because when you're put in a position of a king and you keep thinking like a pauper, the earth cannot produce. Proverbs says, the earth cannot produce with a pauper who becomes a king. Someone who's put in a kingly position but still has the mentality, the attitude, and the understanding of a pauper. Doesn't matter what your position is. Doesn't matter. And Christians think like paupers all day long. All day long. And it's not just material wealth. It's spiritual wealth. It's harmony. It's, relate, it's all these different areas and spheres of our life. And we think like we're paupers. We think in poverty mentalities and we're kings and we can't manifest kingdom because we think like paupers. Yeah, so long as they're a child. There it is again. Galatians 5. As long as you're a child, you can't, you're under stewards and masters. You, you're, you're no different than slaves. Same verse. Same concept. You want the earth to produce for you? Stop thinking like a pauper. Stop knowing who and what you are. You need to know. You're a son and a daughter. You're royalty. I know what I am. I know what I am. My son was saying, I thought I was hearing noises in the house, Dad. I don't hear the noises in the house. I go, because Daddy's home. (laughs) Ain't no going to be no noises in my house. Ain't going to be no crazy things going on in my house. The only crazy that goes on between my house is between me and Sherry. That's about as crazy as it's going to (laughs) get. So if anybody's going to get crazy, it's going to be me and her. But anyone else is going to get crazy around here. (laughs) I know what I am. I know who I am. I know what my rights are. I know what I can have. And I know what I can't. And do you have it all? No, I don't. But I'm actively pursuing. Start the clock. You should have seen me five years ago. Right? Where are you? Most Christians leave their harvest in the field. Most Christians leave their destiny in the field. Most Christians settle for fake imitations and sacrifice the authentic for what is fake. They short track, they take short roads not to get to the the bigger place. What if God took your whole life to create a moment in time where you created legacy and destiny flowed through you and the world knew you lived or what you did was accomplished and achieved and your family knew, somebody in your world knew you lived. What if God took a lifetime to produce that lasting effect? What What would that do? A lot, a lot. His issue is never with more. You gotta stop thinking like that. You have to stop thinking like that. The devil enslaves us and drills us down and tries to train us into thinking in poverty and that's the wrong attitude entirely. It's exactly, it's not even just an intellectual concept, it's a heart understanding. It's a revelation, it's a revealing. I know what's mine, nothing is withheld from me. 
Nothing. The issue is, my, my issue is activating it. <laughs> and I am activating it. I am. We're activating a lot. And a lot of things are unfolding, 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 like never before. Not talking about it. We're doing it. Not giving theories and concepts. We're doing it. Right? Pauper must become kings. You must learn the ways of the king. You must learn his ways, and you must learn what you are. Some of you don't believe anything you say is significant. Who told you that? Some of you don't believe that anything in your life is significant. Some of you struggle with value and worth, right? Misconceptions. God's angry. God's loving, man. All in. He's generous. He's kind. He delights in the, he delights in the prosperity of his people. Physically, materially, emotionally, relationally, prosperity. It's not just material wealth. It's prosperity in every, every sphere. The city of Nineveh was so, lo- so wild. So, okay, let me, let me finish up going off on that. So the city of Nineveh is so big. So here's the thing, right? This is important because this relates to us as Christians. God sends Jonah to this city to warn them, to warn them. So the first time he tells them, go there, engage them, Jonah. I want you to speak over them. I want you to tell them, listen, cut this crap out. Stop doing this. There's a higher way. There's a better way. Sit with them. Engage them. Work with them. Get personal with them, Right? Jonah's like, no way, no thanks. Second time God goes, just go up and show up and open your mouth. I'll use whatever you give me. And so Jonah shows up, walks up, walks through the city. He's like, listen up, losers. Eh? 40 days to turn this thing around. If you don't turn around in 40 days, it's all over. I spent three days in a fish to come here and tell you this. So if you think, you want, you think I want to be here, you're wrong. But Jesus loves you. I don't know why, but that's what I'm here to tell you. Noah, Jonah out. It's pretty much what he said, right? Super short prayer. Told him 40 days. Shows up. No compassion. No, hey, no cry for repentance. Just basically, listen up, you bunch of losers. (laughs) And God used it. And he turned it around. God will use what you offer him. Say it with me. No more excuses. No more delays. All of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. I don't have time to go into the verse, but it's 2 Corinthians 5.18 through, where are we going? Through 20. If you want to read that verse later, you can see. But God's given us a ministry. Every Christian has a ministry. And part of that ministry is reconciliation. You and I are called to be witnesses, Christian. You shall be my witnesses, right? Which is the Greek word martyr, which means you will lay your life down for me for the sake of other people. You will lay your dignity down. You will lay your pride down. You will lay everything about you down on my behalf for the sake of another person. This is what you're doing. And what? Giving us the message of reconciliation. And so God told Jonah to go and do something. We also have the message of reconciliation. We're not just to sit in a community and be a good example. We're to bring a message, right? And so all of us are called, so, when, so what's this message look like? What's the ministry of reconciliation look like? We're called to reach an oikos. So somebody says, I feel like, you know, if I start witnessing to people, God's going to send me to Africa, highly unlikely. He's going to send you to India, highly unlikely, right? Oh, I wish he'd send me to Hawaii. Well, that's highly unlikely too. But nonetheless, God's not going to send you there. He's going to bring you, what, what we're called and what we're responsible for is our oikos. Say it with me, oikos, center of influence. You're responsible for your center of influence. 
which means the people you work with, the people that you, you know, you're not responsible, but God wants you to create influence in those environments. The people that you work with, the influence in the people you go to school with, your family, your friends, your neighborhood, we're to create influence with those people. That's what we're called, and we're supposed to be a reconciling voice. How do we do that? Say it with me. Tell, compel, and spell, right? We can tell them, we can compel them, and sometimes you just got to spell it out, right? So what does it mean to tell them? You tell them, what, what, when you're telling someone about Jesus, the easiest way, blessed are the poor in spirit for what? Theirs is the kingdom, right? The brokenhearted. The kingdom is nearest to the brokenhearted. No one in this room came to Jesus at the top of their game. You weren't balling out. Oons, 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 oons. Oh, Jesus, yeah, I'd love to give all this up for Jesus. Yeah, sure. Nobody does that. They come to Christ when that world has collapsed. And the pain and the anguish of their choices is upon them. People come to Christ through tragedy, trial, and transition. You want to minister to someone, you want to tell them about Jesus, the person that is in a, tra- is in a tragic situation, the person that is going through difficult trial, or the person that is in transition. And what do we tell them? That person, it's not, hey, repent and come to Christ. That, per- that message to that person is, hey, there's hope. Right? So if I'm going through something devastating, I don't need somebody to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I don't need that. But I need somebody to tell me a life-giving message. There's hope, and, a per- and hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And the Lord is here with you, and he wants to help you. And you tell them, and you encourage them unto Christ through their circumstances. And most people are open to that. That's the tell part. The compel, what's it look like to compel? Hey, come to church with me. Come on. Come to church with me, right? I don't have a car. I'll pick you up. That's compelling, right? So not everybody can spell it out. I'm about to spell it out. But every Christian is called to tell and compel, right? Not every one of you can go and give you, give, give you what I'm about to tell you. Not everyone's going to get up there and go, bum, 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 bum. You may not be able to do that, but you can give a message of hope. You can tell a message of hope in Jesus' name, right? You can compel people to come with you, right? Come with me. Come on. We'll do it together. I'll take you to lunch. I'll pick you up, whatever. There's the compelling component. You can do that. Greater love is no one than this, and I'll lay their life down for his friends. So telling and compelling, say it with me, telling and compelling is the responsibility of every believer. If you can spell it out, hey, good for you. Move to the head of the class. But if you can't, you're still obligated to tell and compel. We have six pack of cards over there. They're in little plastic things. Invite cards. I just want to invite you. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about our church. I want to tell you, I mean, I don't know. Use something. Be creative with it. People that have empathy, you, you, you're going to feel the pain of other people. What a great barometer, right? What a great, I just feel like you need, you know, look, are you going through something? Yeah, really, oh, you know, look, there's hope. His name's Jesus. I want to pray for you. I understand where you're coming from. He understands more. I don't know. Come up with a message that relates to the compassion that you feel within your heart. Other people, you're just friendly, outgoing. Hey, come on. Come with us. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> spell it out. Let me spell it out for you. Compel, tell, and spell. You're born under sin. I'm going to spell it out. You're born under sin. Say it with me. God never judged man. He judged sin. Support and understand. Why is God judging man? God never judged man. He's judged sin. Because man is born under sin, therefore man is under judgment. So long as we abide under sin, we are under judgment. When you come to Christ, you come out from under the judgment of sin and you come into the righteousness of Christ. It's a positional shift. That's what it is. Man was never judged. Read it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Adam was, Adam was never cursed. The judgment was never upon man. It was upon the sin. So God's not judging people. He's judging the sin. 
right? We suffer the circumstances and the consequences of sin. We don't suffer the consequences of our identity, right? So we're under sin. We're, sin, we're, we're under sin. Sin is judged. When you come to Christ, you come out from that and come in. So what does it look like? So I told first service, because I have a bottle of water here. Ooh. We spare no expense to give you the finest of props here at Elevate Miami Church. So let's say that this bottle has to be thrown away. This bottle is toxic. This bottle is going to ruin everything if it's left to itself. This bottle has to be chucked. But this label is very, very valuable. But because the label is bound to what is toxic, I have two choices. I can either throw the bottle away with the label, or I can find a way to remove the label from the bottle. You understand that? And so God has found a way to remove the label from the bottle. His name is Jesus. Now, there are people who will just go, get me off this bottle, cut me loose, get me out of here, no problem, I want to get away from that. And then there are other people, no matter what you do, they will not leave that bottle. I've been a part of that bottle for so long, that's all, I, they will not leave it, Right? And so when God is condemning man, he's not condemning man, he's condemning the sin. When God is throwing man into the lake of fire, which is that's what he does. My wife doesn't like it when I say it, but I'm like, it's in the Bible. What? It says he will throw them into the lake of fire. He's not leading them into the lake of fire. At that final judgment, when every opportunity has been given to you and you've denied this salvation and you treat the blood of Jesus as a common thing and you think L. Ron Hubbard's your savior and you treat Christ as though he is common, Bible says that you trample this, you insult the spirit of grace and you trample the blood of Jesus underfoot and you treat what is holy as if it was common and you will answer for that. When you believe that Jesus is one of the is one among many, you will answer for that. He's not the one among many. He's the one and only. He is the way, the truth and the life and you will stand before him. And in that day, there's no reasoning. You're tossed. He's going to be chucking him, not because of the people, but because what have they have chose to bind themselves to? They chose to remain bound to something that is toxic. They chose to remain bound to something that is not of him and has no part in what he does. But to those whom allow, he allows to remove from the label, we become a glorious picture of what he, what he has to offer. The Bible says this, Isaiah 59, the Lord's hand is on, sorry, I'm a little over. They started late, but I'm a little over. I'm almost there. I got to finish this. The Lord's hand is not too short that he cannot save, nor his ear too heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face. People go, well, where's the Lord? If God's real, well, then why isn't he there? Well, I can't feel God. I can't see God. Your iniquities have separated yourself from him. Iniquities, say it with me. Iniquities are issues in the bloodline. Every human being is born of the bloodline of Adam until he comes to Christ. And then you become born of the bloodline of, Christ, of Jesus. So your iniquities, the issues in Adam's bloodline have separated us. It's the sin of separation that roots itself in Adam. The iniquity of the bloodline of Adam has separated us. And the sins are what causes face to be hidden from us. Sin produces blindness. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, whom the God of this world has veiled their eyes. Iniquity sends, separates and sin blinds us. This is a fact. God did not separate himself from us. We separated ourselves from him. And the only solution to that is to deal with the iniquity in our bloodline. That's why the blood of Jesus is so boldly proclaimed because it's a new bloodline. It's a new ancestry. It's a new legacy. It's a new beginning. You're a new creation, born not with corruptible seed, but with incorruptible, born of the blood of Jesus. This is why you're separate. You're so unique and powerful and loved of your father because his blood is in you. 
He's given it to you. You are lost. Let me spell it out for you. You got to be born again. Number two, you're lost. Hopeless and helpless. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're hopeless. We're helpless. We can't save ourselves. That's a fact. Third thing is you're eternal. The state in which you die is the state in which you will remain. If you die in your sins, you will be forever separated eternally. You won't just cease to exist. You will suffer an ever-present death, eternal death, and death, and death. What's that look like? I don't know. I don't really care. I don't want to find out. When I come to Christ and I give in life in Christ, I get life, 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 life. What's that look like? I don't know, but I totally want that. That's what I want, right? We get life in Christ in him. We get life eternal death. It's a separation because it's, no, it's not part of him. Jesus is a God of life. Death is outside of his kingdom. Death is outside of his covenant. So those that are bound unto such things go outside of his kingdom and outside of his covenant. It's the way it is. You're eternal. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6. Good news. Everybody say good news. There's a way out. Hello. There's a way out. It's not L. Ron Hubbard. It's not Buddha, right? It's not Krishna. There's, it's, not, it's none of these things. It's not Bill Gates. His name's Jesus. There's a way out. Jesus answered and said, I am the way. I am the truth. Not a way, not a truth. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? Jesus offers this to us. So this is our condition. And the offer from a loving God who does not desire us to remain as we are, but wants to, it came for us. He says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. It's not a transaction of the mind, Christian. We think that it's something we have to understand. There's a guy that was here, and he came to Christ, and I always tell this story, and it's funny. His name's Dave. And so uh, Dave and his friends were trying to lead him to Jesus for like three years. They drag him here. They're like, Pastor, this guy's a fraud. He's this and this and this, and he just likes hanging out with Christians, and he doesn't want to become a Christian. I'm like, all right. And so I go to lunch with the guy, and I'm like, so what's your major malfunction? He's like, oh, I just like hanging out with Christians. I find them to be good people and all stuff. I said, why are you coming to church? He's like, I don't know. I just feel compelled. I just feel like I'm supposed to be there. And I said, well, why don't you give your life to Jesus? He goes, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, when I, you know, I'm a smart guy. You know, when I do this intellectual thinking and all this other stuff, he's like, it just doesn't make sense. And I said, well, the gospel, to, the gospel is foolishness to those repairs. I went into a bunch of stuff with him. I started talking to him about it. But I told him, I said, uh, Dave, faith doesn't come from the mind. It comes from the heart. Now, he said, so I'm able to give my life to Jesus and not fully understand it. I'm like, yes, you are. You can give your life to Christ and not fully understand it. And the guy got born again right there in the thing in and, and an afternoon at the Lost and Found Saloon, by the way. That was the name of the restaurant. Yeah, literally, we were at the Lost and Found Saloon. And uh, he gave his life to Jesus. And these guys for three years have been trying to get this guy to come to Jesus. I'm like, you can't convince someone into the kingdom. You just got to lean in with your heart. It's your heart. Your heart can believe things your mind can't understand right? The bumblebee can fly. Tell the bumblebee it's not supposed to be able to fly. You ever seen a yellow jacket? They're, 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 the law of physics says that that bee can't fly. It's, its body is too big. It's got these little tiny little wings. It's got this big old like cork looking body that it flies around in the little wing. But it flies. It flies all kind of crooked and crazy like, but he flies. Right? I'm like, that bee shouldn't fly. I'm like, well, somebody forgot to tell him. It's not believing in your mind. It's believing in your heart. So we're going to say a prayer. You don't have to understand it. You just need to receive it. If you're watching at home, we want to encourage you to pray this prayer with us. And if there's a group of you, pray it together. Pray it together, right? So we're going to pray this together. You just say, I don't know if I know Jesus. Well, you're going to know today. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. 
and I need a savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come on. If you did that, we're proud of you. Yeah, come on. Hit us up. We're getting a lot of people on uh, Facebook Messenger, so I guess that's better than email these days. So hit us up. We'd love to connect with you and let you know a little bit more. So we want to bless you. Uh, we have a prayer team available. Uh, if you need it, we'll have someone over there. And I want to bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen. <laughs>